Good morning. I know that we do, we do a lot of reading of Scripture you know, before we ever get to the sermon. And sometimes we do well, a whole lot of reading. And some of those readings get lengthy. And I know depending on your background, um, that may feel weird, uh, may seem odd. You may wonder if they're ever going to stop reading because they just keep going. Um, and if you're from this background you still may just kind of tune out a little bit. Um, We read it because proclaiming the word of God is not just what happens in the sermon. It's what happens when God's word is read. And it has been the tradition of both Judaism and Christianity to read and proclaim the word of God without any explanation, just hearing the word itself. And so we will do that every week. Um, You'll hear three readings And sometimes they'll be really short, sometimes they'll be a little longer, um, but you'll always hear them. And I encourage you to hear it as, this is God's word. So I've got two boys, four and six, and they are uh, becoming more aggressive with one another as they have begun wrestling, I don't know, 23 hours a day, that's what they seem to do now. Just they wake up, they grab each other, they tackle each other, they roll around on each other. I mean, just constant wrestling. And, and I'm, I'm mostly good with it. I mean, I'm a boy. I grew up with a brother, too. It's kind of what we do. Um, occasionally, I need to tell them to knock it off as they start hurting each other and knocking over things. And, but I came across this little anecdote that uh, just kind of fit with what I'm going through with my own kids. Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five and six-year-olds. After explaining the commandments to honor thy father and thy mother, she asked this. Is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little boy answered, thou shalt not kill I thought that fit quite well. (laughs) Um, We are going to spend some time this morning talking about the Ten Commandments. This is going to be a little different. Uh, Instead of what you might be used to with me, this is going to have a little more information, a little more background in it. Um, It's going to cross over a little bit from the typical sermon into a little bit more of a teaching at times. Um, This is something that it's a struggle to figure out. What are you going to teach on the Ten Commandments in 30 minutes? Ten Commandments. I mean, even if I just took one at a time, I got three minutes per commandment to go through. Um, But they are such a pivotal and foundational part of Scripture, of Israel, of God, and even of us. And there's a lot of uh, ways that people see the commandments today. Uh, June 28th of this year, a man rammed his car into a newly installed monument of the Ten Commandments at the Arkansas State Capitol. Less than 24 hours after they had been unveiled. And As he's going toward it, apparently out his window, he shouted, freedom, 
and then rammed into it. They fell down, broken half, and lay on the ground. Mike Huckabee said this, the former governor of Arkansas, some idiot in my home state broke all 10 commandments at the same time. That was pretty good. <laughs> the Ten Commandments are well known, though not well memorized. Not many people actually know them all, but they know of them. They are the center of a lot of debates, court cases, especially today. What do we say about them? I am going to cheat, and I'm going to give you right here up front this is the main point I want to make. And I'm not only going to give it to you up front, but I've stolen it. This isn't even my point. It's a direct quote from somebody else. His name is Peter Inns. Um, He's a New Testament, Old Testament scholar. And this is what he says. These commandments were not given so that we can be good citizens, but so that we can reflect even more fully the image of God in which we participate through our union with the risen Christ. That's what I want to say today. I'm gonna read it one more time. This is a two-point sermon. Point number one, these commandments were not given so that we can be good citizens. Point number two, but so that we can reflect even more fully the image of God in which we participate through our union with the risen Christ. So, They were not given so that we can be good citizens. I know that may sound strange. I mean, there are laws, right? These are the things you think, if we just had all these, we'd have a great society. And um, uh, Let me me unpack it a little bit by what I mean by that and what he meant by that. Before the Ten Commandments, there still were laws. There still were rules. There were still ethics. What... Cain happens with Cain and Abel was still wrong before the commandments were there. What was happening on the planet Earth so that the flood came, all that was still wrong and still evil before the commandments came. The point of the commandments was not just to say, okay, here's now all the ethical laws for you to run a society. It was much bigger than that. Um. The commandments themselves reflect what you see taking place in the ancient world. That is, other cultures also had their covenants, their treaties, like what we see there, except there's a bunch of differences. Well, there's these things that like you go, yes, that's exactly what was happening with the Hittites. That's exactly what was happening with the Mesopotamians. You can also go over here and say, there are some unique things that were taking place with the Ten Commandments and with that entire covenantal structure that show you it is bigger than, here's a bunch of rules. Here's a few of those things. Number one, the commandments are not connected to a king. They're not connected to a legislator. They're not connected to a person. They are directly connected to God. And that is absolutely different from anything else you see. One of the most famous law codes we have is the law of Hammurabi. That law code, while he starts it, because he says, I got it on a mountain, 
and I got authority from the gods to do it. When he starts the laws, they are still laws about him, what he establishes as the king, and showing his righteousness. That's how he formulates the laws. And in all societies at that point, they're all being connected to the people, to the rulers. They are the ones that are giving you laws. Which means, what happens when that ruler dies? You get new laws, and then other laws. And you go go look at any of the ancient law codes. There's no society that is still holding to them except one. Because these laws, these commandments, this covenant, it was an everlasting covenant that would not change whether it was Moses or Joshua or Samuel or David. didn't matter. It was the same commandments, the same covenant all the way through. And that was distinct. And it was made between God and a community. You also don't have that. Okay, there is a absolutely fundamental nature of these covenant of this, these commandments is that they are communal. They are between God and the people. Not just you as an individual. Not just any of them as an individual. Okay, they were not primarily, and this is part of my point, and I'll get to the second thing, which will explain what they were. They were not primarily about an individual not killing. And as long as I do that, I follow the law and everything is good. They were about a culture of people, a community of people living a certain way together. It was bigger and it was fundamentally founded on God, not, listen, not on what was best for society. Now, is it best for society? Absolutely. But that's not the point. It was founded on God first, which is part of its everlasting nature. They are holistic. Most of, if not all of the laws in the past, they were, and they were separated into spheres. You had legal ones. You had religious ones. You may have had um, moral or ethical. I mean, there's all these different things, these spheres in which the different laws existed. That is not true of the commandments. They cross over into every area of life. They are not meant just for us to live a certain way within a society. They are to dictate, to run, to, to give the way of life for all areas of our lives. You cannot compartmentalize the Ten Commandments. They're relational, they're legal, they're societal, they're cultural, all of it. That is also distinct. And lastly, and along with that, um, and I I already mentioned this, but I'm gonna say it one more time. Um, They are individual, but they are primarily communal. They are how you and I or them were supposed to live, but it was within the community that we were to do this. And that when you think of a breach, um, this is a quote, every breach undermined the entire society. Now, what you may think, okay, think about it in this way. In our culture today, if you don't get caught, 
it's okay, right? I'm not saying you would morally say it's okay, but just in general, in our culture, if you don't get caught, it's okay. Or if it's small and you do it and it doesn't really affect anybody else, it's okay. They do not have a concept of not affecting somebody else because it's the entire community. So that my actions are not just about whether I get in trouble or whether my action is bad just for me. It's about there's a way of living that us together are doing so that when my actions breach that, it is a breach of our community. It is impacting us. That's how they viewed them. Um, think of it in this way. So my children, two of them right now, uh, play instruments. The third one will start playing an instrument soon. Uh, they all start when they're four. He's four, but he's really out of control. He may have to take to five or six. We're not sure yet, but he will start soon. But all my children play instruments. My daughter came in this morning and she, so she's in sixth grade. Um, she has to practice 180 minutes a week violin for orchestra. Well, she had to finish 15 minutes this morning in order to get her 180. She comes into my office at 8.30 and she is, I'm not kidding, she's hyperventilating because she gets, she's daddy, daddy, daddy. And she puts down her chart it's, it's all online. You add in your minutes. You say what you practice. She goes, please tell me I added this wrong. And I mean, she's shaking. And we added up. She had made a mathematical error. Um, she had only done 150 minutes, not 180 minutes. And she is just losing it. I'm going, calm down. Calm down. It is okay. But, but, my grade, my, I, I messed up. Calm down. Right? You need to know something. We do not have you doing this because either it defines how we think of you. You can mess up multiple times. You can mess up every single week and it is not going to change how much we love you. And number two, and this is kind of weird for here. This is not primarily about you becoming the best musician in the world. That's not the primary point. Now, if you become the best violinist ever, it'll be awesome. We'll love it. But that's not the point. The point is to teach you responsibility, to teach you that, and this is a quote that my mother-in-law said to my wife and now has been said to my kids, if you will do something every single day, you will get better at it. You will see the result of that kind of commitment. And so, sweetheart, yes, you messed up, that's okay. But you have next week and you can learn from what you're doing now because our point is not to earn something from us it is not even primarily to earn the grade, nor is it to become the best violinist. Get the right lesson. We want those things too, by the way. We want a good grade. We want you to do well. We want you to become a great violinist. All those things are true. 
but they're not primary. The law was not primarily given as a bunch of rules to create a bunch of individuals who would just do the right thing in a society. It was far bigger than that. It was eternal. It was connected to God himself. It was communal. And it wasn't just legal. It was legal and ethical and it was spiritual and it was all of these things together. The law was that big. Right? Now, primarily, moving into the second part of that quote. They are given so that we can reflect even more fully the image of God. From the very beginning of Scripture, at our creation, we are created in God's image. Created in, in there's so many ways of describing what that might have been. But we were created to be like our God. I'll leave it that vague. And I don't mean divine or anything like that. We were created to be like our God. We were created to represent our God. That's what an image does. Adam and Eve were intended to represent the creator to the creation. However, in the fall that is marred, the image of God within his creation is marred. Doesn't mean it's gone. We're still made in the image of God, but it's severely impacted. However, by following the law, by following the commandments, by following the ways that God has set out, we become more like him. Why? And here's the point that I want to make. The commandments reflect our God. The commandments reveal the character and the person of God. The commandments teach us about him as much as they tell us what we're to do. They are a tool by which we can see our creator more fully. Um... You remember the background that I mentioned? Here is uh, Hammurabi who is saying, here are these laws and they show my righteousness, literally what they say, they show my righteousness and all of you need to follow that. What do you think this law is doing? It is showing God's righteousness. It is showing who God is, what God is like. In a moment, I'm gonna read the commandments but I'm gonna show you what they reflect, right? But before I do that, I wanna remind you of something. If you go into Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses is gonna repeat the 10 commandments. He's talking to the second generation. The generation that some of them did come out of the Exodus, but they were 20 and under. All of those who have gone through the 40 years, they've all died, and it's this next generation, some of whom were born in the desert, some of whom came out but were young. And Moses is repeating the history. And when he gets to chapter six, he's gonna restate the 10 commandments. Now, there's gonna be subtle changes that he makes. Nothing to the substance, but he's gonna contextualize the 10 commandments for the second generation and where they are and where they're about to go. But it's also how he starts them. He starts them by saying, 
You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then he gives the commandments. And do you remember what Jesus says when they challenge him? What's the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He didn't make that up on the spot. He pulled that right out of the way Moses was describing this. That the commandments were an expression of loving God. They were not primarily a disconnected ethical kind of living where you're just being a good person. They were about loving God within the community of God's people by becoming like him. What do the commandments say? All right. Um, by the way, sorry, I have to mention one other thing. Um, the way they start in Exodus. God spoke all these words saying, here's how he starts them. And by the way, in Judaism, this is actually the first commandment. Um, there's, there's multiple ways, three different ways of looking at the Ten Commandments. I, in Judaism, this is actually the first. I am the Lord your God. All right, that translation, while accurate, it misses what he's saying. If you were reading this in Hebrew, it would sound like this. I, Yahweh, am your God. This is an identification where God is saying, I, Yahweh, the one, by the way, if you go back into Exodus, and we've talked about this, you go back into Exodus, how many times does God say, I am Yahweh, I am Yahweh. And then he shows them what that means. Got all these gods of Egypt. And he even says in Exodus 12, I am going to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. I'm gonna show you who the real God is. Yahweh. And he starts the commandments by saying, I, Yahweh, am your God, Israel. I brought you out of Egypt. This is a relational covenant I'm about to give to you. These are relational commands. This isn't, here's some rules, and now I'm gonna go off somewhere distant and hope you can follow them. And when you screw up, I'm gonna come punish you. This is very much, I am your God. I'm giving you how you relate to me. I'm gonna give you who I am so you can know who you should be. Hey, here's the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Notice something he doesn't say here, and this is important. He does not say there are no other gods. Not because there are other gods. Please don't hear me say there's multiple gods. I don't believe that. However, the point was not whether there are multiple gods. The point was, I'm yours. I don't care if there's a thousand other gods. I am your God above all things. You shall have no other gods before me. Here's a different way of saying that, what it says about God. God is worthy of total allegiance to him alone. He alone was their God, therefore he alone determines the course of their life and community. No other God, no other force, no other being, no other person, no other organization is worth that allegiance. But he is. Second commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And he goes on to describe the various things that they were making images out of. You see, if you were in Egypt or in most other cultures during that time, their gods would be represented by images. 
various idols, little statues. And the God could work through that statue. And you could pray to that statue. And the statue had some connection to the God. Here's the problem. There is nothing in our created world that parallels our God. The reason he says you can't make an image is because the moment you start going, well, let's make an image of the water or of this fish or of this lion or of something else, you are gonna begin to attribute the properties of those things to a transcendent, eternal God. And there is nothing in our creation that parallels him. He is unique. And so please don't do this. You cannot make images. Here's a different way of saying it. God is unlike anything else in all creation. God cares that we never confuse him with his creation, nor allow the practices of those around us to determine how we worship God, what we think of God, or how we would honor God. To conceive of God as something within creation is to demean who he is and to move in a false way in our relationship with him. He is like nothing else in all creation. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Different way of saying that. God's name is not meant for personal gain. In no way should we use the name of God to control or manipulate people or circumstances, which happens far too often. Far too often, groups of people use God to justify what they want to do. That is taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And what we say and what we do does reflect upon who God is. Do you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ? Because if you do, the things you say reflect on him. His name is in you. And so the way you act, the things you say, the way you treat people, that reflects on our God. Do we take his name in vain by our actions? Do not, invoke the, do not invoke God's name or authorities in ways that are contrary to him. Do not say things that misrepresent him. Number four, sorry, I gotta move quickly here. Just realize how long this can take. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, and this is, again, the way it's written is very important. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Don't make it holy. You and I do not make the Sabbath day holy. It is holy with or without us. It's whether or not we will keep what God has declared it is. Will we keep it holy? Because he has determined that. And remember does not mean, oh yeah, I got it. It's not that. Hey, God remembered Israel before he came down and obliterated the Egyptians. Remembering is active. It's when we do something about it. Remember the Sabbath. Um, you might say it this way. God cares about rest, and he cares about recognition. Actively keeping the Sabbath holy. Don't work on this day, but recognize the day is set apart as a means of following our creator, because that is what he did, and that is where it came from. It is a means of trusting our creator, 
I will not ask you to raise your hand, but I can almost guarantee probably eight out of 10 people in this room, if I said how hard, would it be hard for you to take an entire day and do no work, that eight out of 10 people would raise their hands? Because the idea that we could have an entire day where we did not work scares the living daylights out of us because we have so much to do. Can you trust God enough to take an entire day and give it to him? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. If you remember our study of the Sabbath, like in a year ago, that part of what God did when he rested is he was sitting as king over creation. That if you take the background of that image, it wasn't just God taking a nap. It was God being king. Can you let him be king and give him that day? Keep it holy. Keep it separate. Keep it apart. All right, honor your father and mother. The family structure is important to God. It is absolutely fundamental to what God is doing. Honor your father and mother. And it means two things. It does mean obedience, but it also means honoring and caring for. Because there is a point where you no longer are obedient to your parents. I am a parent now. If my dad calls and tells me to do something, I will decide whether I want to do it. However, I am called to still care for and honor my parents. I think you see all three of these in Jesus. When he was younger in the temple and his parents told him to come home, he came home without argument. He obeyed. Later on, you see him in his ministry and he's in a home and his mother and his brothers are outside and they wanna get to him. But what they want is not what God is doing and Jesus does not obey his mom and go out there. But then on the cross, you see him say to John, this now is your mother, take care of her. Jesus does all of them in a right way. Honor your parents. It matters to God. It shows what is important to him. You shall not murder. All human life matters to God. That's why that commandment is there. He lays claim to it, and we must remember that all are made in his image, even the screwed up ones. We have to trust God with people. You shall not commit adultery. God wants us to have intimate relationships with him and especially with one other person. He wants you to be so intimate, so connected, that you can be described as one flesh. But God wants that with one person. Not with multiple people, with one person. You shall not steal. God is trustworthy and his community must be built on trust. Stealing is a lack of trust in God. It is a lack of respect for those in the community that you would not recognize as something belonging to them. You shall not bear false witness. God is a God of order and justice, and that can only happen when people are truthful. In this case, again, this false witness thing, this has more to do with they have no camcorders, they have nothing to record, if somebody's accusing somebody else, the only way to know if that is true is by witnesses. 
it was really significant within the community. When Jesus says, when two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am with them, that is not about prayer. I promise you, if you're alone, Jesus can still be there. It doesn't take two or three. That is directly in the context of confrontation with somebody caught in sin. When somebody's in sin, you're to, you're to go and confront them. If they won't listen, you're to bring a witness with you. If they won't listen, you're to bring them before the elders. If they won't listen, you're to treat them as a tax collector or a sinner. And when you do that, when two or three agree, the authority of Jesus is behind that. That's its context. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Um... You have no internal rules in the ancient world because how do, you, how do you enforce that? How do you enforce an internal thing? You can't. I mean, I could be sitting here right now coveting Stuart's car. Have you all seen it? But none of you are gonna know that. You can't police that effectively. But you see, the commandments are holistic. They involve all of it. It's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount can take all the commandments and go, okay, well, yes, you're not supposed to lust. Oh, wait, no, you weren't supposed to commit adultery. You're not even supposed to lust. You're not even supposed to have these internal things because it's about all of us, all parts of who we are. Um. What were the commandments supposed to do? They were supposed to make us more like God. We're supposed to see them as saying, okay, our God is like this. He cares about these things. This means something to him. I want to emulate that because I'm created in his image, which means the more I'm like him, do you know the more human you are? The more you're like God, the more fully human you actually are because you're made to be like him. There are many who would consider Johann Sebastian Bach to be the most influential composer of all time. More so than even Mozart, Beethoven, the most influential composer of all time. And I want to give you some of the evidence. Here's what Brahms said about, about Bach. Study Bach. There you will find everything. Here's what Mahler said. In Bach, the vital cells of music are united as the world is in God. Schumann said it the best. Playing and studying Bach convinces us that we are all numbskulls. Um, both Mozart and Beethoven, they actually copied out works of Bach by hand just to, to feel, to experience Bach composing because they wanted it to be part of their composing. And his influence kept going. Um, I'm gonna read you a list of movies that have Bach in them. And not just as like a side reverence, but somehow the music of Bach is meant to convey part of the message of a movie. I'm just gonna read you some of them. This is not exhaustive, by the way. Before Sunrise, 
Boogie Nights, Dangerous Liaisons, Devil's Advocate, Die Hard, Fantasia, The Godfather, Hannibal, The Island of Dr. Monroe, Kiss the Girls, A Lake Quartet, Master and Commander, Mr. Holland's Opus, The Pelican Brief, Runaway Bride, Slaughterhouse Five, The Soloist, The Spy Who Loved Me, Three Kings, Unbreakable, White Knights. It goes on and on. The Beatles, The Beach Boys. All of these guys are, and it goes even into, this is a quote from a Hungarian composer who is an atheist. Consciously, I am certainly an atheist, but I do not say it out loud because if I look at Bach, I cannot be an atheist. Then I have to accept the way he believed. His music never stops praying. And how can I get closer if I look at him from the outside? I do not believe in the Gospels in a literal fashion, but a Bach fugue has the crucifixion in it. As the nails are being driven in, in his music, I am looking for the hammering. My brain rejects my atheism. And it's not just musicians and artists, but it's scientists Here's Albert Einstein. He said this. This is what I have to say about Bach. Listen, play, love, revere, and keep your trap shut. His impact is so huge. But you know what? It's not because Bach came up with a bunch of rules. He didn't list 10 rules and say, all composers go follow my rules. It's because his music conveyed something about him. His intellect, his soul, the beauty, all of it. And it was so amazing and so overwhelming and such a beautiful vision that everybody else went, I have to have that. And 300 years later, we're still doing it. We're still going, we have to be like that. That's what the commandments were meant to do. This is our God. We want to be like him. Even more than we want to go, okay, I followed that rule, check. I followed that rule, check. Oh, I broke that rule, dang it, I gotta go make up for it. It was bigger than that. It was, here's a picture of our God. The entire thing, not just those 10, but all of it, the entire Old Testament, the entire New Testament. It's a vision of our God. For us to go, this is how we can be like him. This is how we can represent him. And this is how we can be more fully who we were supposed to be. I end with this little summary. A few things the commandments were not, and, and yes, I apologize. Um, this is running over. Um, the cowboy game is not till three. We should be good, but it is running over. Um, it's the Ten Commandments. I tried to get it in. Um, here's a few things that you, we need to know. These were given to a redeemed people. They came out of the exodus. They had already believed in Yahweh. They were given to a redeemed people so that the redeemed people could be like their redeeming God. They are not primarily just an ethical code for all people. They are directly connected to our God. It is a mistake to try to hold a non-believer accountable to the Ten Commandments. 
you and I cannot even abide by them. And we have the spirit of God in us. And they're not primarily meant as that rule code, but they are meant to reflect our God. They are not primarily a personal moral code, but a code of conduct for a people. I'll tell you what, if I could give you one application, it is to think of your morality in a communal sense. To not think of you following God or doing the right thing is primarily you just getting something right or earning something or not getting in trouble, but to think of you as being part of a community reflecting God. They definitely do not earn salvation. You cannot earn salvation by following the Ten Commandments or any rules, period. That can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. And they are not given to make us nice people. That's not their point, to make a bunch of nice, happy people. They are given to make us more human, more fully what God created us to be, and to make us a kingdom of priests that we can show our God to the world. That's what they're for. Here's the same guy that started our sermon. Quote from him. They are a charter of conduct for a people already redeemed, who already participate in God's redemptive plan by being, and listen to this, walking and talking examples of what it means to be created in God's image being walking and talking examples of what it means to be created in God's image. That's why we have this. All right, final thing, and I will shut up. As Albert Einstein said, shut my trap. Lewis Thomas was a biologist and a physician. He became the dean of Yale Medical School and New York University School of Medicine and the president, president of Sloan Kettering Institute. He died in 93. This is a big dude. Right? Well-respected in the scientific community. And at one point, when talking about the information that we might send into space in case someone were to intercept it, what would you send out there so that people would know about us? This is what this scientist, physician, said. Perhaps the safest thing to do at the outset, if technology per, uh, permits, is to send music. This language may be the best we have for explaining what we are like to others in space. I would vote for Bach. All of Bach. Streamed out into space over and over again. We would be bragging, of course, but it's surely excusable to put the best possible face on at the beginning of such an acquaintance. We can tell them the harder truths later. Here's a scientist saying, if we're going to connect with aliens and they're going to know who we are, let's send them Bach. That's how influential he was. What if our God and his ways could be that influential in our community, in our lives as believers, that we could be the message of who our God is? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. 
Thank you for your absolute and unconditional commitment to us in giving your son for redemption and offering us eternal life. Lord, as we look through your word, help us to see you with more and more clarity every day and help our lives to reflect that clarity that we as a redeemed people might show our redeeming God to the world around us that so desperately needs redemption. Lord, help us to be those people out of our love for you. We ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.